Good morning again. If you have a Bible, go ahead and open it up to Galatians 5. We've just got a few more sermons in the Galatians-centered series as we've been looking at what are we centering our life on? What is directing our life? What's our foundation? This week, as we go to Galatians 5, it'll be found on page 975 in the Black Bibles under the chairs there if you want to follow along with us. Um, Page 975, Galatians 5. We're calling it Gospel-Centered Community this week. So the move throughout the whole book has been to challenge us to center our lives on the gospel and not religious legalism, not the Judaizers, and not even the paganism that we might have known in the past, just wild living. Paul has said both religious legalism and wild living are two different ways of trying to save ourselves by our own flesh. And so he says only the gospel, only good news of Jesus for you, that's what saves us, depending on God's spirit, not depending on ourselves. Now that shapes our community. That enables us then to be filled up in a way where we can actually give ourselves to others. No longer are we empty looking for people and things to fill the emptiness inside us, but now we're full and we have something to give. And that's when we have a gospel-centered community. That's when we have a healthy community, healthy relationships. So we'll be in uh, chapter 5, verse 26, just the last verse of chapter 5, and we'll read a few verses of chapter 6. If you want to follow along with me, let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. Let me pray and ask God to help us with this this morning. God, we ask for your help. I pray that you would uh, teach us, that your spirit would meet us here. Um, God, we want to be free of ourselves and full of you so that we can love each other. So we just ask for you to reshape our minds, our thinking, our hearts, that we would be able to rest in who you are and give ourselves to each other in a, in a real gospel-centered community here. We ask for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, sometimes on Sunday nights after our, our Sunday evening service, uh, I'll go to the grocery store. Just a couple of weeks ago, I needed to pick up some deodorant, right? I'd forgotten to put it on the list. So I was going to go by the grocery store, pick up some deodorant, and uh, you know, text my wife, see if she needed anything else. I think she said we needed to get some eggs. You know, so I'm going in the grocery store to pick up some stuff. Only problem is, uh, is I was incredibly hungry. I had, uh, I eat a light lunch on Sunday afternoons, usually, um, because just, just teaching twice in the morning and one in the afternoon is, is, you know, kind of like, almost like running for me. I don't like to eat too much on Sundays. Uh, so I eat a light lunch, and then I preach through dinner time, really, on Sunday nights. And so it's about 7.30, and I'm starving. I mean, I'm just, there's this emptiness gnawing at the inside of me, right? Like I feel like my insides are eating themselves. So I'm, I'm going into the grocery store with, with this in the background, right? And, and so I do what I think probably a lot of you do. I just go immediately for uh, the sandwich meat section uh, and I grab a ham package off of the little rack there and I just eat the ham because I'm afraid I might pass out as I'm walking through the grocery store. <laughs> so y'all do that all the time, right? Isn't that like a normal thing? Um, and don't, don't, don't worry, I didn't, I didn't steal it, right? I saved the package so that they can scan it, and I pay for it when I get all my groceries. So I get the ham, I eat the ham. Sometimes I'll get chicken, but this time I think I got ham. 
Um, and I get that. But then, you know, that's not always enough. And I'm thinking, I haven't really eaten dinner yet. And all these things I see in the store suddenly look good. Things that, that didn't look good to me before now look really delicious. And so I'm buying these chips that we don't normally buy. And then I'm going to the exotic dip aisle right by the deli where they have these kind of creamy chili pepper cheesy concoctions. You know, it's this little tub of stuff that I don't even really know what it is, but it's really good, right? So I'm buying that, bringing, bringing it all home thinking, well, you know, I didn't eat dinner. So this will be my, my dinner. And my wife kind of looks at me funny when I get home. Um, and, and when I do this, this happens to me somewhat often. I feel like it's a, it's a reinforcing of this thing I've heard before, and y'all may have heard this. You're not supposed to go to the grocery store on an empty stomach, right? You're finishing my sentence. Yes, everybody knows. <laughs> so I, I didn't re- really know that was a rule because when I was growing up, my stomach was always empty. So now as I'm older, I have to kind of be more disciplined about these things. Um, but you know this, right? You've all probably experienced something like this. You, you don't even really think clearly when you're walking through the grocery store on an empty stomach, Right? You, you begin making irrational decisions. Things that weren't attractive to you before are attractive, or maybe things that were attractive and you had the self-discipline to resist. Now you don't have the self-discipline to resist because you're so hungry, right? You feel like you might die at any moment. And so what I think is that that's the same logic that Paul is applying here. The last verse of, of chapter 5, 526, and then going in in chapter 6, is that when we feel empty relationally, that causes us to be irrational and unhealthy in our relationships, right? When we feel empty in ourself, when we're unsure of ourself, that disables healthy community, right? So like all the problems we have in our dysfunctional families and in all the bad churches we've been in that have hurt us and, and whatever community group or club, sports team you've been involved in, I mean, we've seen it in all these different places where people just don't know how to love each other and relate to each other in a healthy way. We don't know how to build healthy communities, and it's because there's this gnawing emptiness inside of us that makes us take from other people. And so Paul unpacks this in in this first verse of our section. It's uh, chapter 5, verse 26. He he uncovers this picture of gospel needy people, needy people that, that feel empty inside. He unpacks what this looks like here in verse 26. If you'll read it again, I think this is one of those places where if you read through this section a few times in English, you'd catch it, but I'm going to kind of cheat and jump to the meaning of the Greek word, and it'll help us to get there faster. So let's read it again. Verse 26 says, let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So he starts with conceited, and that word in the Greek means empty. Um, The literal translation would be Empty glory. If you are familiar with the King James translation, it was vain glory. Have you heard that word before? Vain glory. So you're glorying in emptiness, right? That's really at its heart what conceit is. So you wouldn't necessarily catch that the first reading, but I think when you read this multiple times in English, you'd kind of find this flow. So like I said, I'm just going to shortcut to what the word means. It means a type of emptiness. It's a glorying in emptiness, a, an empty praise, an empty glory. And so the idea here is is if you're empty inside, conceited, you're going to either provoke or envy. Paul gives us two different reactions, right? You're reacting to the emptiness inside you by either provoking, and that's kind of like dominating others, or envying. That's playing the victim. And all of us do one or the other. I I would say myself, I kind of flip back and forth 
between the two, depending on the opportunity, right? Like if I feel strong and powerful in one community or in one relational uh, experience, I, I might provoke. I might be more dominant. I might, I might try to hurt others or make fun of others or push others or show that I'm stronger than others. And that's my attempt to fill that emptiness inside. Or I might, I might feel weak in a situation, so I'll, I'll sulk, right? Or I'll kind of play the victim in the corner as a way to get something out of people. I, I don't know how you live this out, but all of us at times have been empty, and we just we go out there and we try to do things to fill that emptiness. And that, that tears communities apart. That, that's why we don't function. That's, that's what a dysfunctional family is. That's what a dysfunctional church is. That's what a dysfunctional club or team is, is it's when we don't really feel full on the inside, so we have to take that fullness from others, whether it's by provoking or envying. I have a uh, picture here of a black hole I found. I don't think this is an actual photograph because to my understanding, if you were out there taking a photograph, your camera would get sucked into the black hole, right? Do we have any, any astrophysicists here? I think it's a very powerful vacuum, right? The most powerful vacuum in the world, powerful, more powerful than any Hoover. And it just it sucks light and things and planets and spaceships, if you've got one, just into this hole, Right? And so this is really what Paul is, is setting up, that sometimes we're just that kind of vacuum. Jack Miller was a pastor, and he called it this. He called it being an approval suck, um, which means you're always going around trying to suck approval out of other people, right? You're going around needy, like, is this person impressed with me? What do they think about me? Uh, am I better than this person, or am I weaker than this person? And we're comparing ourselves to other people. And that's not, that doesn't make for a very, very healthy community. The only way we can actually love each other, the only way we can actually serve each other in love, as he said a few verses earlier, is if we feel full in the love of Jesus. Right? If we know that it really doesn't matter what other people think of me, but Jesus loves me. Right? If, if I know that, yeah, I have guilt because I'm a sinner, but Jesus paid for those sins on the cross. And if I know, yeah, I may not be that impressive, but God, the Father's impressed with me in Jesus because he loves me as much as he loves his very own son, that Jesus' righteousness is given to me. He sees me as his own son. If, if I'm conscious of that, that gives me a, a fullness where I can serve others, and I don't really have to care what other people th- think, right? And it's not a, I don't care what you think, like, I'm going to take my ball and go home. It's a fullness that overflows into love, right? I don't care what you think, like, I'm willing to love you, even though you might be a jerk, or even though you might not make me feel great, or strong, or weak, or whatever it is, I can love you because I'm full of the love that Jesus has for me. And so we must get our identity from who Jesus is if we want to have a a gospel-centered community where we actually have healthy relationships with other people. You see this play out in your marriage especially, right? If any of you are, are married, your spouse sees you at your worst, right? They were attracted to you at your best, and they know you at your worst. That's kind of a formula for disaster, isn't it? Unless, unless you know that Jesus loves you. Unless you're full in him. So my argument would be that we, we need to stop provoking, we need to stop envying. When you find yourself in that situation, right? When you find yourself dominating someone in a relationship or you find yourself envying and kind of sulking and playing the victim, either one, uh, remember the fire thing we used to say, stop, drop, and roll, right? Just stop, like, okay, whoa, what's going on here? Recognize that, repent would be the biblical word. Recognize, God, I must be, I must be trying to get something out of this person. I'm sulking, 
I'm whining or maybe I'm dominating. God, help me to trust in you. I think a good time of year to think about this is coming up. This is kind of a repentance time of year in the historical church. Lent starts in a couple of weeks, and, and Lent is a time historically, it depends on the denomination, your background, but historically a lot of Christians take that as a time of fasting and repentance, of recognizing our sin and our neediness and our brokenness. So this might be a good time just for you personally to, to make that kind of a center of your repentance and of your prayer life and of your fasting practices uh, in the Lenten season building up to Easter where we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, that Jesus came for us that God loved us so much he gave Jesus for us and Jesus conquered sin and death so we don't have to be that needy person anymore. We can actually build others up in community. I'd encourage you to consider that. Ways that we can be a community that instead of being about self, we actually love others, right? We reach out. And we talked about earlier during our announcements that kind of our theme for the year is grow deep, reach out. And, and what that looks like is we grow deep in the love that the Father has for us and that gives us the strength to reach out and actually care about other people. If you're needy, if you're an approval suck, if you're a a vacuum that's trying to pull everybody else into your soul to make you feel better about yourself, you're unable to love other people. But if you know you're loved, then you can love. We love because he first loved us. 1 John 4.19 So then Paul starts to shape what it looks like to actually um, do something about this, right? So what is gospel-centered helping relating, serving each other in love. What does that actually look like? Gospel-centered helping. He unpacks that in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 6. We'll look at this again. He says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So here, what I'm calling gospel-centered helping is bearing one another's burdens, right? Serving each other in love. He says here we're fulfilling the law of Christ. Um, If you like to study theology, I could recommend some books on the law of Christ and what all that means, Old Testament law, New Testament law, and all that stuff. But I don't want to go into all the complicatedness there because I think here in context, he's really zeroing in on just the simple idea of love. So he just was talking about that a few verses before. So we don't need to get in all the theological arguments about law and its role in our life, we just need to say we need to follow the rule that Christ followed. And that was he was so full of the Father's love for him that he gave himself for others. He was so confident of the Father's love for him that he loved others. That is the rule. That is the law of Christ. And so that's what Paul wants us to do. He wants us to do uh, the law of Christ. He wants us to live in a way where we serve others in love, the way he said a few verses before in chapter 5. So so what does that look like? Well, he gives specifics. Go back to verse 1. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Just two words I think we miss on the first reading. Uh, When you first read it, brothers, if anyone uh, is caught in any transgression, if you're like me, the first time you hear that, uh, maybe you don't have a guilty conscience. I'm a guilty conscience person, right? The first time you hear that, you're like, I got caught, right? Like somebody knows I did something wrong. And I would say that's not really what it's saying right? It's not saying you got found out. Because remember, again, in the context of Galatians, he's been saying we're all sinners, and everybody knows that, and Jesus is our only hope. So it can't mean you've been trying to keep it a secret, and now someone knows. And also, in the original Greek, the word is more kind of being stuck in a trap. 
so the idea of, of caught here is not being found out, like I've been trying to hide it and now somebody knows. It's more of I'm stuck and I just can't get past this, right? So for a lot of us, when we start following Christ, there's sins that we just, whew, they're gone. Like it doesn't even, doesn't even tempt me anymore. And then there's other stuff I just kind of continue to struggle with, right? It trips me. I make some progress. It trips me again, and I'm kind of ensnared. I'm kind of caught in that. And that's what he's talking about. If, if someone's caught, we need to help them. All of us to different degrees at different times in our life have stuff that we're kind of caught in. We're having trouble moving on beyond that point. And he says, you who are spiritual should help them. Now we have to explain that too, right? First reading in English, we think you who are spiritual means those of you that are the studly, elite, special forces Christians, right? <laughs> That's what we're tempted to hear that as. But that, again, context, you have to read Scripture in context. He's used the word spiritual a million times already. Well, not a million. I'm not really a math guy. He's used the word spiritual many times already in Galatians, right? He's used it many times. Remember, he contrasts spirit with both uh, religious legalism and wild paganism. So basically, he just is using spiritual to mean those of you that trust the spirit instead of trusting yourself. Those of you that are not religious legalists and those of you that are not wild pagans, those of you that just trust the gospel. You're still sinners that need a savior, but you're trusting the gospel is your only hope. You're just like anybody else. You're just a regular Christian. Those of you that trust that the spirit can do miraculous things in your life, that Jesus can really forgive you, that God really does love you, those that you trust that, you trust the Spirit, you need to help these other people out that are struggling. We need to help each other out. That's what gospel-centered community is built on, is gospel-centered helping, serving each other, helping pull each other out of the ditch when we're stuck in that ditch. So I encourage you to, to see that as just the normal Christian life. That's just Christianity 101. Someone's struggling, you see it, you pray for them, you help them. Now, he gives some context here. He says, restore in a spirit of gentleness. The word restore um, is a word that can be used for setting a broken bone. So, I mean, there's a level of seriousness there um, or like a dislocated shoulder. Any of you ever dislocated your shoulder? It can be pretty painful. I've, I've done the like pop halfway, the subluxation. I've never done the full dislocation. Uh, but a friend at the men's conference was just telling me how to reset a dislocated shoulder. I have a picture here. Uh, it's a picture of the shoulder bone, just for reference in case you've never seen one. Um, but my friend was telling me, he's a doctor, so, so that means I'm now trained by a medical doctor. <laughs> he said if your shoulder's dislocated, you can just lay the person on a table and pull. I don't know if Jeff, is that right, Jeff? You can kind of pull gently. This is if you catch it quick enough, right? So if any of you slip outside or you're passing communion too quickly and you dislocate your shoulder... Come talk to me, and I, if I catch it quick enough, I think I can help you, because he showed me how to do it in the mess hall at the men's conference. But the idea is that you have a serious injury, right? You're caught in a transgression. Again, not found out, but you're stuck, and you're, you're, you need help, right? It's something you can't fix on your own. You need someone to help you. And those of us that trust Jesus, so just see that as normal Christianity, that we're helping each other. We're helping each other restore in a spirit of gentleness. Now, gentleness is interesting I was listening to a sermon the other day, and a, a pastor pointed this out. I hadn't even thought about it. That gentleness is really a relative term. I don't know if you've thought about this, right? Depending on personality, um, some people are really sensitive. So you can think you were really gentle. Any of you ever manage people or you have kids, this happens. You think you were really gentle and correcting or challenging someone, and then they just burst in tears or they're really upset about it, right? Whereas someone else, it's like you need a a two-by-four, a, a brick or something, you know, to kind of help them understand what you're saying. So I think 
depending on personality, gentleness looks like different things. But that should be the goal. The goal should be actually restoring them to, to full functioning, helping them get unstuck in whatever they're stuck in, and doing it gently. The goal is love. The goal is kindness. Uh, a lot of you may have seen doctors that they were really skilled. They knew what they were doing, but they were not gentle. So ever, you don't have to raise your hand. You know, a lot of times, just being skilled and knowing your stuff, sometimes with human beings, those things don't go together, I guess. You know, sometimes you're good and you're skilled, and sometimes you're gentle. They don't always go together. As Christians, we should be both, right? In the spiritual life, we should be both. We should be skilled. We should get better at understanding these things and understanding the human heart. And we should also be gentle. We should be kind about it. We should help in a way that doesn't cause further injury. Uh, in just the life of our church, we have a ministry called Celebrate Recovery that meets on Monday nights. And the focus of that is helping people that are stuck with ongoing uh, hurts, habits, hang-ups. Um, and so this is kind of an obvious thing people think of when they think of being stuck. But what I want you to understand is um, that environment where people are honest about being stuck and other just regular Christians that trust the Spirit are trying to help each other out, that should actually be a model for all of the ministries at Grace Bible Church. So at one level, yes. Is it specialized? Is it more focused on people that are stuck? Yes, it is. But we all get stuck. And every, every Bible study and every group, small group, every community ministry that we build in this church should be really modeled on the same thing, where we're people coming together, recognizing that we're all human, that we all struggle, and we need to help each other out. So I want to encourage you with that, to, to get involved in those places where you can find help, where you can begin to be honest about your stuff, because you're not going to get unstuck if you're not honest about it, right? Keep hiding it. No one's going to be able to help you. But we need, to, we need to help each other out. We need to look for ways that we can help each other. The, the last thing that, that Paul talks about is gospel-centered independence. And again, first reading, there's a lot of stuff in this text. First reading is confusing. You read it ten times, it starts to, you start to see the flow of what Paul is saying here. Uh, and so look at verses uh, 3 and 4. Actually, it's 3, 4, and 5. He says, For if anyone thinks he is something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. Well, it starts out pretty simple there. That would just be kind of how we would define Christian humility, right? Like, you don't want to th- think too highly of yourself. You don't want to think you're awesome, you know, and, and be shown that that's not true. So for if anyone thinks he is something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. Verse 4, but let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. This is interesting because he was just saying, help each other out, serve each other, and now it seems like he's saying, take care of your own business, right? And we have kind of the wisdom of, you know, this kind of uh, communal living versus personal responsibility, right? Kind of depending on where you grew up or how you see politics, you might focus more on one of those than the other. But in, in the gospel, we are to be about both. We are to take care of our own business. We are to be responsible for self. And we are to acknowledge that we need each other. So Paul's really giving a very even-handed, balanced view of things here. And also, I think it's helpful to understand it's not a contradiction because earlier he said, bear one another's burdens. And here he says, bear your own load. But again, the word, I hate to keep jumping to the Greek, but the word is a, it's a smaller word. It's more like backpack. I have a picture here of some guys uh, carrying a backpack, right? So burden, bear each other's burden, help each other out when you're stuck. That's the big heavy stuff that you can't carry by yourself. If you can't carry it by yourself, you need someone to help you, right? It's just, it's just common sense. 
right? We don't have to get all caught up in this. Seems like a contradiction, but if you can't carry it, you need someone to help you. If you can carry it, carry it, right? That's basically what Paul is saying. So what do y'all call We call them backpacks in the civilian world. What do you call those? Rucksack. There it is, right? Um, so if, if you can carry it, carry it. I gave an illustration earlier. Um, when we used to go to amusement parks, sometimes I would carry my daughter when she was three, four, five, you know, and then you get to that age, five, six. I don't really remember where it is because she's 13 now, but somewhere in there, you're like, I don't know if I want to carry you anymore, right? <laughs> Getting a little heavy. And I can remember even at the time when I would carry her all the time, I could carry her for hours. I mean, I would cramp later, but I could carry her for hours and my wife couldn't carry her, right? Because I'm I'm stronger than my wife. I had to just make this clear. My wife is strong. She's not here, but she is very strong, but I am stronger than my wife. So I just want you all to know that. <laughs> I am actually stronger than my wife. And so we all have different loads that we can carry, right? We have different loads that we can carry. Uh, you may have been on a squad or a team where, you know, there's just certain things you can depend on one guy to do that you couldn't depend on another guy to do. And sometimes that's because of our training. Sometimes that's because of our natural strengths. Um, but we're just different, and that's okay. If we get our identity from who Jesus is and how he loves us, that gives us the freedom to be okay not being the next guy, right? So, so look back at the verse here. He says, let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. So again, this is not a anti-gospel boasting and look at how awesome I am. This is saying you don't compare yourselves to other people to define your identity. He's already cleared that up throughout the whole book. Again, context, he's been very clear through the whole book. We don't get our identity from other people. We get our identity from God. And so it might be a mix of both God-given talents and training and experiences, but we're all unique. And if I get my identity from Jesus, God loves me through Jesus, and that makes me okay, then my identity is really secondary. It gives me great freedom to use my gifts to help other people. And then when I stink at something, and I have a hard time carrying that load or burden, which is it, right, burden? When I have a hard time carrying that, then I'm free to say I need help. I've had people help me uh, with budgeting and managing my finances. I struggle in that area, right? It's like on the wagon, off the wagon, needing, needing help to be more consistent with those things. I stink at that. I need help with that. And there's other things that I just I don't need help with. It's just fine. It's my backpack and I can carry it. Any of you ever tried to teach someone the thing that you're really good at? Ever tried to do that? Like, you're good at something. You're really good. And someone's like, hey, will you teach me that? And it can be kind of frustrating because you don't really know how to teach what you're good at, usually. I mean, sometimes God gives you that extra grace to figure that out. Or, but a lot of times, you're like, just do it, right? Like, it's this easy thing. I just wake up in the morning and I do it, so do it. You know, and it's hard to... It's hard to explain it. I, I would say that's a good insight into your unique gifting. That's just something you're good at and other people aren't good at. That might be a way you can help other people. You may not be able to explain it, but you could help them, right? And so we're all made different. Paul talks about that in a lot of other places like 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12 and Ephesians 4. He talks about we're, we're a body of people, but we have different body parts. And we're just sometimes we're good at one thing, someone else is good at another thing. And if we start... If we start trying to prove ourselves based on that, it's all going to go crazy. We're going to be biting and devouring each other, is, is what he said a few verses before, right? We're going to be tearing at each other because we're going to be trying to provoke or we're going to be envying, and that's not a way for a community to relate. 
if we get our identity from the gospel, from the Spirit living in us, helping us, loving us, then we're going to be free to love each other, to use our gifts and say, hey, I'm different and this person's different, and that's fine. I'm not worried about it. It's a healthy, gospel-centered independence. It's not an independence like, I don't care about you at all. It's a a healthy independence, a gospel-centered independence where you can give yourself to other people and be okay with being unique. Well, as we wrap up, um, we think about a gospel-centered community, what it looks like. I just wanted to remind you again uh, about the idea that Pascal has quoted before. Pascal is this French philosopher and Christian who said, we all have a God-shaped vacuum within us. And we're trying to fill it with other things, but only God can fill that vacuum. So that's really both my encouragement and my warning to you. But so often we try to fill that vacuum with other things, and it, it won't fill it. There's a song on the radio right now, it's a song I love called Flaws by Bastille, and, and they've got that line in the song, and they say, there's a hole in my soul, I can't fill it, I can't fill it. There's a hole in my soul, can you fill it? Can you fill it? And a lot of times, that's how we build our communities. We're just looking for someone to fill the holes in our soul, and that's, that's going to destroy our communities from the inside. The only way we can really build our communities is if we recognize that God has sent Jesus to fill that hole, that we can be satisfied in him, and then we have a fullness out of which to love each other well. Let me pray for us, and then we'll finish in worship together. God, we thank you that you love us. Um, God, we pray that that would shock us into a new way of living. Help us to trust you. Help us to lean on your spirit. Help us to be new. Help us to be a gospel-centered community that loves each other differently than, than the world. We ask this for your sake and for your glory. Amen.